Hello, folks. Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program, and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience. This is Dr. Mo Selby. My name is Anastasia. And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, the voice of Harlem and the Health in Harlem podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, we just welcome you to another program and we have some great information ahead. And I'm just going to lay it out really um, from the jump and that we definitely have an agenda. Um, And that is to get you the best information possible so you can make the best decision for yourself. Um, And especially when it comes to what's going on now with COVID, um, some updates actually, as far as the COVID-19 vaccines, we are going to talk about um, actually a little bit about boosters. We're also going to talk a little bit about what is going on with our children. Um, Definitely had some, I think, pretty exciting (laughs) uh, updates this week um, as far as, you know, these vaccines and their kind of pending approval uh, for children five to 11 years of age. Um, And so we're going to get into that, ladies and gentlemen. But before we delve right in, I'm going to introduce a new sort of series to our program. And basically, uh, this is called airing it out. I'm going to air it out right now with some of the misinformation out there, right? As I said, we have an agenda. Part of that agenda is to address misinformation and disinformation um, that is out there. And I'm gonna flashback. We talked about this briefly last week, but I wanted to touch upon one more point. Um, And this is regarding the comments from Nicki Minaj. I'm not gonna concentrate so much on the comments, but what I will say is that another lens to view this from, right? Um, I think Nicki Minaj was very, very, genuine in her um, wanting to do more research, right? Wanting to learn more um, about the vaccines. Um, and I would imagine even the benefits of the vaccines and even considering um, potential adverse effects and risks, which there are risks. We talked about that on this program. But one thing I just want to caution you all on, and actually this is um, from an article in Vox that I read talking about this statement from Nicki Minaj and that while she did advocate doing research, I want to really just have everyone understand that research in conjunction with reliable information, that's going to be the key. Um, and really getting this information right from individuals that have expertise or training in this area. 
Um, and that's why we actually have a distinguished guest with us tonight, Dr. Kristen Oliver, um, who is going to be talking with us about this these topics. Um, but it's really important because when we talk about doing that individual research, um, one thing, right, with this can be pretty nuanced information. You're going to see even in our conversation um, that this can be very complex stuff, very complex stuff to understand, even for me as a physician, right? Um, and we try to break these concepts down. But when you do this research on your own, you can go down rabbit holes. And unfortunately, with the amount of information out there, not everything is equal, right? There's information out there, um, unfortunately, that is misinformation. It can be misleading. There is flat out false information. And there are individuals out there um, putting out disinformation, which is willfully wrong information that can mislead you um, and really you know, compromise your decision making when we talk about making an informed decision about these interventions. So I'm gonna leave it at that. I aired it out. I hope that we aired it out sufficiently, um, but just wanted to air it out as far as that uh, misinformation. So that's something you'll be expecting in this program uh, week after week. We're going to be airing out um, misinformation and really just trying to give you a different lens to look at some of the stuff that you might be appreciating out there. But without further ado, I'm going to bring in Dr. Kristen Oliver. She is an assistant professor of environmental medicine and public health, um, also an assistant pr professor in pediatrics and uh, global health. And she is actually the associate program director of, of, of the preventive medicine residency at Mount Sinai. Um, and so that's the key. If there's any word to focus on, we're going to be talking a lot about prevention um, tonight and prevention in the context of these COVID-19 vaccines. So with that said, welcome to the program, Dr. Oliver. Hi, thanks. So happy to be here. Um, it's true. I mean, prevention is, is my life. I've always, I have to say this, I've always loved vaccines. Um, it's sort of why I got into pediatrics, why I got That's into preventive medicine. So I do have that bias, but I love vaccines. I love this vaccine too. So just going to be really honest about that, um, but also understand that there's lots of questions out there. Yes. And that's what, that's what we're here to do address, ladies and gentlemen. So um, we can jump right in. And actually, Anastasia, you had a very good question, I think, to kick this all off um, and really get to clearing up a lot of these complexities that we've kind of alluded to. Um, you want to pitch well, that one? Which one? <laughs> there were many. Oh, I know. I yeah, I know. There's so many. Um, I guess the one that we most recently were kind of discussing was uh, what's the difference between this booster shot that's been going around and like a third dose of the vaccine? Yeah, such a good question. So confusing. Um, and so, yeah, to hopefully clarify that, let's start with the idea of this additional dose. And, and that is a dose for people who are immunocompromised to have something with their immune system. That means when they originally got either the two doses of Moderna, two doses of Pfizer, um, they probably didn't have enough of a response. Their body didn't probably make enough antibodies to that vaccine, that, those things that fight against the infection if you see it later on, as somebody um, who didn't have a problem with their immune system. And so because of that, that group of people needs a third dose so they can hopefully get to the same level of protection as everybody else has from that initial dose of, of the vaccine. Does that help? I think it does. But, and, and, but one thing, and this is actually something that I've been experiencing, right? Because I've had um, patients and even colleagues that have said to me that, Hey, I got, I got a booster. Um, and 
basically from your definition, that's not what these individuals have received at this point, correct? So that's another tricky question. Um, mm -hmm. If those individuals got an additional dose because they have um, a you know, problem with their immune system, then they didn't get a booster. They just got a third dose. Exactly, and we do yeah. this with some other vaccines too, where some people, um, I can think of sort of HPV vaccine. Um, there are some people who, even though they, they started the series you know, early when they're supposed to, may need an additional dose to get the same protection um, as somebody who started it. Um, when they were when they were older, so people with immunocompromised conditions get an extra dose of HPV vaccine um, right away. So it's more like that. Um, a booster is when you think for everybody mm -hmm. after a certain amount of time, just the our our immunity, the response to the vaccine, the antibodies that we develop just go down. They what we call waning, right? So they go down over time, and then you need a you know a booster dose to ramp that back up again. Yes. And the most common one that everybody knows is tetanus. Everybody talks about their tetanus booster, right? Um, and so we do that every 10 years, you get the tetanus booster. And so the question for COVID vaccines is, is everybody or, or is there a group of people that are going to need that boost among every people who the vaccine worked, you know, had the right response in the beginning, but then over time, it didn't quite have the same response. Got it. And so when we talk about one thing I, I want to clear up, um, and really, I'm going to just put this out there, one thing. We've said this week after week on this program, nothing new, ladies and gentlemen, but I do think it's very important to re reiterate the fact that the vaccines are very, very effective. All three that um, are approved, either fully approved by the FDA, that's Pfizer, or under emergency use authorization, they are very, very, very effective. Um, even at this point with this discussion of boosters, they are very effective. But what is sort of prompting this concern, I guess, briefly, Dr. Oliver, in, in terms of, right, why this would be necessary, considering how effective they are. And I can attest to that. I'm just saying, ladies and gentlemen, right, because every patient, even up to this point, with people that have been vaccinated for close to a year now, we, you know, the people that are coming in are not vaccinated, right? And then, so there's a great degree of protection, even up to this point, um, with the vaccines that have currently been available and administered. So why did this really just come up out of nowhere um, as, a, as a point in the discussion, considering how effective they are, even up to this point? Yeah, I think it was always on people's minds. Was this, was this going to happen? Because, you know, we, if it's with a new vaccine, you don't know for sure how long the protection is going to last. Right. So people, mm -hmm. we've been looking for it. Um, if it's been on the radar. I think you, when you think about vaccination, you want to ask what kind of what are the different levels of protection? Right. And the most important, especially for COVID, is to prevent deaths and to prevent people getting hospitalized, so sick that they have to get hospitalized. And the vaccines, and all the vaccines are doing, an as you said, an incredible job of preventing that. That's why you, you're in the ER, right? So you're not seeing you know, people um, get, you know, who have been vaccinated, make it to you for the most part. Um, and, and the vaccines have been incredible at preventing that. Mm -hmm. um, the next level of protection is, can they prevent any kind of infection at all? Um, and it looks like, it, you know, there may be not as much protection over time to prevent any kind of infection whatsoever. So there's some people who are, even though vaccinated, are going to get an infection, but that infection isn't going to be so bad that they end up in the hospital or end up dying. And so yeah. that's where the question comes about what, if we need additional boosters, um, do we, are they going to help prevent additional infections? Um, or do, is a group of people who are more likely to need um, to get hospitalized or die. And this is, we're talking about in general of the people that, you know, have been vaccinated 
and then really do end up getting very, very sick, again, super, super, super small, they tend to have other serious medical problems. So they're either, you know, in long-term care facilities, so a lot of chronic, you know, conditions and much older, um, or other medical problems, cancer, um, you know, complicated medical conditions, things like that. Got it. And so when we talk about individuals right now that are recommended or approved for um, and so no boosters at this point, but at least when we talk about that third dose, um, second or third dose, uh, what populations are likely to most most likely benefit from from that third dose at this point? Yeah. So the people for that third dose that are recommended, again, are people with and what they sort of call a moderate or severe uh, immunocompromising condition. So you're going to think about somebody, you know, who recently had you know, who had an organ transplant, somebody who recently went through chemo or um, some, you know, treatments for cancer, um, somebody who if you have, you know, untreated or really advanced HIV, um, and then some people who are on very high levels of steroids for a long period of time. Um, but if you have a question about some, a condition that you might have and whether or not that, you know, qualifies you for an additional dose, absolutely talk uh, to your own doctor and we'll be able to help you with that decision. So I have a question. Yeah. Um, it's not really like, it's kind of related to this is that assuming so are there situations where like a normal person by normal, I mean, like a healthy person that doesn't have these underlying conditions or underlying conditions that aren't proven to decrease the antibody levels? Like, is there a situation in which we can measure how effective these um, two doses of Moderna and Pfizer have been to an individual? Because there might be some people that don't even know that they have an underlying condition. So how would they be able to find out? So you bring up two points, but I think, you know, for the most part with these immunocompromising conditions, um, I think it's rare for somebody not to know they're going under cancer therapy or something like that. Um, but I hear you, I think within that, in your question is, you know, can we measure antibody levels to see if I had the right response to the vaccine or if it changed over time? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's I, there's also some like autoimmune disorders that, um, you know, like I, I have family members that have them that aren't so severe to the point where they would fall in the same line of someone, let's say, that got an organ transplant or something like that. But I would still worry if the absolutely. vaccines were actually effective. And I think that's that's a conversation to have with their specific doctor who takes care of that condition. It can help them guide them one way or another because there is, you know, it's not 100 percent there. Um in terms of all the, you know, the data that we have and making that decision. Unfortunately, though, what there isn't a test that we can do to see if you, your body made the antibodies um, and enough of them to provide protection. And there isn't, a, there isn't, we don't know yet, and it's super frustrating, a specific number of antibodies that means like, yes, you are 100%, you know, protected. Um, and everybody wants that number. And, and there's, you know, there's studies going on now to figure it out, but we don't have that number. One and the other thing is the the tests that a lot of people can do don't necessarily test for the right antibodies, and so it, even if you know people are getting these tests, they're not necessarily giving them any information um, that may be accurate or actionable. Right, but at the same time, though, like I, while Dr. Oliver has said, just a little listening audience, while there might not be a test that does the specific number, we do have enough people that are showing actively right now that the vaccines are working. Just an FYI. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just to reiterate that point again. Even for people with those immune compromised conditions or that have a weaker immune system, while it might not be as effective, they still are right. There's some degree of protection. That's why it is very important to. 
absolutely so consider getting vaccinated strongly consider it even oh, with absolutely especially because again when you think about any decision around medicine or vaccines it's a risk benefit and the risk is so of COVID is so high um for those for those people in particular right um and so absolutely that was actually a point I brought up in our previous episode when we were talking about the new Delta variant that was going around. Yes. So again, which one do you want to risk? Do you want to risk getting COVID or just feeling the side effects of the vaccine, which we all know about due to our healthcare system? Yes. And especially a super infectious right variant, um, very contagious variant um, that we talk about when we talk about Delta. Uh, so it's definitely something to consider. But thank you for for. That information, Dr. Oliver, because I think that is, and that question too, actually, um, uh, Anastasia, because I think that's been a point, a hangup point for many people when they hear about these sort of the mentioning of the antibodies and the studies and even some studies showing, right, those antibodies declining over time. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your protection is totally gone, um, right? We don't know that that hard number to say that, hey, the protection has waned, has waned now or you're less protected. Um, but again, from all of the evidence up to this point, and I'm talking from personal experience to even the primary literature, right? The research that has been done up to this point and really all around the country and the world, the vaccines are very protective um, at this point, um, even for people with immune compromising conditions, even for people if you don't know for sure right? You still stand to likely benefit from from this intervention. And one more thing with the booster conversation. Yeah. I don't want to play this out, ladies and gentlemen, but again, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, Dr. Oliver, in terms of this risk right versus benefit analysis that we should really do with every intervention in medicine. Even if you're taking Tylenol <laughs> for something, it's a risk-benefit analysis. So if we talk about uh, boosters or even an additional dose, is there any increased risk of adverse effects or just increased risk uh, in general that we should be concerned about if we talk about those additional shots? Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's an important question. And I think one that is why it's taking a little bit longer than people anticipated to make it for everybody to make a decision around the booster dose, because the folks who decide want to make sure they have enough data on the safety. Mm -hmm. um, of that additional dose and, um, or the, of the booster dose. And I think that, you know, making the decision around the additional dose for people with immunocompromising conditions absolutely, um, seems to, you know, safe and, and, and benefit outweighing the risk there. Um, they're still trying to figure that out for the general population with a booster, um, and waiting to get a little bit more and more evidence on that. The early evidence looks like, looks yes, but they're still, the numbers are still pretty small. Um, and so when you're looking for a really rare side effect, you need, you want bigger numbers. Got it. And so when we talk about, and we're going to transition ladies and gentlemen, I think everybody's been waiting for this, right? Because that was our conversation last week. We talked about getting our children back to school safely, right? As safe as possible. And so we're going to continue in that vein uh, because there was a big update. I know everybody, so it was front page news on the New York times. Every on you know, my drive to work, I think even for the last couple of days, it's still been a dominant part of the conversation is, right, Pfizer had some encouraging results um, with children age 5 to 11 in the trials that are still going on. Um, but yeah, they had some encouraging results um, that show a good amount of protection um, at this point uh, from the Pfizer vaccine and mRNA-based uh, vaccine. And wanted to really dig into that, um, Dr. Oliver, 
uh, because a lot of parents out there, including myself, we've been thinking about this and um, I'm not going to really <laughs> put it out there. My decision, you probably already know out there, ladies and gentlemen, where Maurice Donovan Selby is headed um, in terms of his daughter. He's, she's going to be mad at me. Um, but it's, you know, all in her best interest, I will say, as her dad. <laughs> but when we talk about um, the vaccines uh, in children at this point, where are we sort of in that that journey? Yeah, I, I really think it's been a journey up to this point. No, and we're not at the end of that journey, unfortunately. Even this good news is just it's another it's a step in the direction we want to be going. Um, but we're still we're still not at the end. So what happened this week was Pfizer said we've got data on on the five to 11 year olds that were in, you know have been enrolled in our study and we have enough data that we're going to be able to submit it to the fda so that they can then look at it and make a decision on whether or not to grant that emergency use authorization for that age group they didn't give a whole lot more information than True that story. um and so they did say it's promising so they said um and we can talk about how you you know, decide if a vaccine is going to work in this age group. So they said it looks promising in terms of when we talk about the antibody response in that age group. Um, and it looks good in terms of the safety and the side effects, similar to what they saw in their 12 to 17 year olds. Yes. And I know they did. Yeah. Up to this point, at least, because there's nothing, unfortunately, published right now for peer review, which is a bummer. But I was excited by this. I'm not going to front. I'm going to put it out there. Um, especially when we talk about just dealing with this as a society and and, and squashing uh, this pandemic, it's an important milestone, ladies and gentlemen. So definitely, we want something we want to pay attention to. Um, and this was uh, about more than two thousand children that were studied um, up to this point, and they had these results. But I guess one of the things that I've been sort of hearing around me, and even in my own personal sort of um, uh, thinking about this was right. We know, and it's been pretty well established that um, while children they can fall seriously ill from COVID, we know that those rates are very, very small. Um, less than two percent being hospitalized, um, and even smaller fraction that have more serious, um, you know, uh, bad outcomes from this. And so, with small such small numbers, one of the the points of conver uh, in the conversation has been why would they be candidates? for vaccination at all, um, what are the benefits for them versus uh, the risk when it comes to these vaccines in our, in our children, especially really young ones? Yep, absolutely. Um, I think about two different things for that. The one I think about is let's stop comparing kids to adults. Let's just look at the kids. And kids can, as you said, kids can get hospitalized. Kids have gotten hospitalized thousands and kids have died from COVID. Um, so whether or not it's the same as adults, it happens to them. And if, yes. we, if we can prevent that with a safe vaccine, oh, please let me prevent that for my kids and my patients. Um, so that's the, my, my sort of number one message. Um, and then there's the second thing is, Yes, if you know, they, given that they don't necessarily get a sick, but it this has affected them so much. It prevents them from going to school and staying in school if they get COVID, right? It's prevented them from their sports activities and it's prevented them from going to sleepovers and hugging grandma and grandpa. And the safest way to bring that all back to them is probably going to be this vaccine. Um, mm. and, and so that's, and, and all of the sort of mental health issues that we've seen with kids as a result of the pandemic um, and the fear. Um, and we can hopefully remove all of that. You know, uh, and that's that's exactly where right. And I foreshadowed, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, yes, Maurice Donovan Selby at the second that these vaccines and I, and I say this 
right? In a way that I'm expecting that there will be um, eventual emergency use authorization and ultimately full approval from the FDA for the use of COVID-19 vaccines in children. And my daughters um, will be vaccinated. Um, I'm going to look at the data myself, right? I did my own risk benefit analysis for myself, um, made this decision for myself, talked about it with family and friends and, and made this, these decisions, right. Based on the best available evidence. Um, thank God up to this point for me personally has worked out at this point. Um, and even looking at right, uh, my practice around me, but, um, looking at everything thus far, if they are proven to be pretty effective, which we see maybe some encouraging data, um, I think it's something to consider. And, and I agree with Dr. Oliver in that one thing I think that's important is not just looking at the children themselves, uh, but then everybody around them. Um, so when we talk about other children that could potentially fall ill, especially if they have um, other conditions, right, that we don't all know about as parents and the kids in our kids' um, classrooms, right, we don't know those things, but kids can be more vulnerable than others. And so in addition to protecting our children, we would be protecting other children, um, which again, will keep them in school, right? And not getting those notices that somebody tested positive in the class and now everybody has to quarantine for a period. And uh, right, we deal with that social isolation and um, some of the challenges, one at home, you got to deal with your kid. You know, I'm gonna be keeping it real. <laughs> you got to deal with no, them at brutal. home. But then, um, which I love my daughters, right? But you know, it's, it's nice. They go to school, interact with friends and they come home fresh and renewed for me and we can have a good time. But yes, that's part of it. But then they lose the, uh, that time with each other. Think about the teachers and the teachers potentially falling um, ill. So it's yeah. it's just so, uh, that's one thing I'm hoping that we can all do is sort of look at the um, larger implications too, aside from just what's happening um, with ourselves, with those that are immediately close to us. But really we're talking about, right? It takes a village to raise children. Well, that village, we would be protecting each other um, uh, when we talk about vaccinating our children. Absolutely. Man, I get so passionate about that. Sorry about the passion, but that's, that's what it is. I'm not going to hide it. <laughs> no, I, I'm with, I'm with you hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's also about what we can do to protect the community, the community of people who've been caring for our children um, and the teachers who went to, you know, who are going to school and um, to do that. I actually have a question if that's okay. Um, you mentioned how children are very different from adults. Like, you know, growing up and everything, um, anatomy-wise and everything, we're completely different. Um, but I, I do have a question is like, this might not, we might not have the data for this, but is it possible for children to get, you know, long COVID or some version of it if they mm. are infected from COVID? Like, could, could this be a thing too? Yep. And so definitely there are, you know, there are kids in adolescents who, who've experienced long COVID type symptoms, different than what you see in, in adults, but absolutely. Um, and one of those things that we still don't know for sure, <laughs> the long-term effects of, of COVID in this population. So absolutely. Um, those of us who think in, you know, preventive medicine, public health think everybody's going to have long COVID at some level, right? Because of mm. the, in, in, in kids, because of what, what, what life has been like for them. Um, Got it. Be during the pandemic, but so I'm, direct effects from the virus potentially, but then also the indirect, the indirect effects of the isolation and, and those things. And we want to stop that. And vaccines can stop pandemics, and they can stop all those indirect effects for the wow. for all the kids. Um, and so that those are the two things we're looking to do. And now I remember now my last point, which was um, airing it out there. So <laughs> there are some people I think who you know, in earlier on, said, "Oh, kids can't transmit." 
COVID, right? Or that, and so it's okay. But I just want to be really clear, kids can definitely transmit COVID. Um, and, and these little ones seems to transmit it more than the, than the older, older kids too, obviously, because they're around, you can't isolate. Oh, you can't, yeah. You can't put a five in the basement, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. see you in 10 days. Um, so, so they transmit. Um, and so, you know, being able to stop that transmission is going to be really important. Got it. Now the reverse side, and, and I think we definitely have to touch on this because this is a major concern of all parents, including myself. But when we talk about the um, adverse effects of vaccines, which again, ladies and gentlemen, we acknowledge right on health in Harlem. Um, I don't know what else you've been listening to. Um, there was never at any point on this program where we said that there's no side effects or adverse effects um, or even serious side effects um, of vaccines. Um, but when we talk about those things, Dr. Oliver, what are some of the side effects that might be even just particular to children or what are some of the more common things that they experience um, and even serious side effects. Yep. And so we don't have any of the specifics on this young age group yet, the five to 11. So we don't know other than the pharmaceutical company saying, you know, they look, it's about the same as in the 12 to 17 year olds. So what we know that means is, you know, a arm's going to hurt, right? Yep. And those of us have gotten the vaccine, the arm hurts, uh, right? You get some swelling there, some redness there and other most common things, fatigue, tired, people feel tired afterwards, especially more, you know, after that second dose, headaches and fevers. Um, and these are really the, the vast majority of the most common side effects um, that kids are going to experience as well. I think you mentioned, you know, they're, you know, rare, but um, happens are allergic reactions to the vaccine, mm. super, super rare. Um, but, you know, we can expect to see that also very rarely um, in kids as well, but don't have any specific numbers on that yet. Um, again, convinced that the benefits are going to outweigh the risks of that because it's it's so rare. Got it. And then um, the elephant in the room is always going to be the myocarditis. Yes. Right. Um, and oh, yes. so I, I agreed that I think it's important to, to talk about that. Um, and we don't have the numbers yet on what, you know, the, that's going to look like in this younger age group. Um, as far as the rates of um, exactly. the occurrence and stuff. Yeah. But again, what we've seen in terms of we know COVID in again, in the, the adolescent and young adult population is you're more likely to get myocarditis from COVID than you are from the vaccine and, and, and as well as a number of other a number of other things. So the benefit, again, really outweighing outweighing the risk. Yes. And then from what I've researched up to this point, it's been pretty rare, right? The, the occurrence of um, the myocarditis that might be associated with the vaccines. Um, yeah. Very rare. And I think even uh, the majority of cases are subclinical, um, correct? And so the ones that they that, that they know about are also very mild. Um, mm -hmm. And so compared to what, you know, we see myocarditis in children and adolescents from other viruses. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a known condition. Um, and the cases that are happening because of the, you know, linked to the vaccine aren't, don't seem, aren't as severe as the cases that we see when kids get them from other viruses for the most part. So um, they do very well. Um, and it's, you know, it tends to be short lived and they recover really nicely. Got it. But yes, right. super rare. Um, we can talk about numbers, but I don't know. And something to think about, ladies and gentlemen, for sure. Um, as we, as we said, we want to give make you, make sure that you make an informed decision, um, when it comes and that's part of it is just understanding, um, these risks, but again, that risk benefit analysis, and especially with COVID, I mean, I will argue it does, especially in adults, everything. Right. Um, from myocarditis, um, it could affect the kidneys. It can lead to long hauler syndrome and other central nervous system um, effects. And so 
when we look at the vaccine versus all of these risks, um, again, the, in, in the majority of cases, it's going to pan out where you probably stand to benefit um, from the vaccination in the fact that you would mitigate all of the potential risks um, that come from COVID-19, including, right, again, we got to think outside of ourselves um, and our children, including protecting other people around us. Um, yeah. Because if you don't have a caregiver, right, they get sick from um, they get sick from COVID-19 from a, acquiring it from a child, then that I would argue is, you know, just as bad um, as a kid having, you know, severe illness um, themselves. So just some some things that we really need to uh, think about as we go forward. So I do want to make um, a point, um, and I think this comes from what I've been hearing in my personal circle, is that, as you can see, like, there's a lot of things that we're still learning in real time. But this also goes to show that the systems that are in place in order to make sure that we are having safe vaccines is working. Because they're not like, oh, hey, here, take a booster. Or, hey, here, like, let's get the kids if we get the vaccine. No, they're being very methodological. Like, they're doing the steps that they need in order to actually get to the right department, the FDA, and they will review the data and then they will give their best judgments because they are the experts in this. So, yeah, okay. It seems as though right now we don't have a lot of news other than Pfizer giving us that glimmer of hope that we're almost there. That doesn't mean that, you know, like, oh, the vaccines are not great or anything like that. No, it just means that we're doing everything in a safe manner so that we can make sure that the general public and children can go back to hopefully how things were before all of this. I say pre-COVID times now. There's a distinct marker for me. Mm. It's like pre-COVID. So hopefully one day we can get there. So like trust the process. And one thing just to add to that question, um, if you will, Dr. Oliver, because I think that's one major hangup, right, for a lot of people is that there are corporations involved. There's money involved in this whole thing, um, which definitely can cloud thinking. It could lead to conflicts of interest, all those things. Right. We want to put that out there. But how does this process of um, vaccine approval right, and development, how do we sort of mitigate the chances of right things being sold to us that right might not be exactly what yeah. they are meant to be at least. No, there's a lot of you know checks and balances within this at, at different levels within within the process. So as we said, you know Pfizer in this case is going to submit all that data to the FDA. And the, what I love about the FDA is they don't just take Pfizer's word for it; they actually take all of the individual data and re-crunch those numbers themselves to make sure that they came out with the same level of effectiveness and the same safety profile that Pfizer says they did. And so that makes me feel a lot better that they've got independent scientists doing this. Yes. And then on top of that, there's a group of doc, scientists and doctors who don't work for the FDA, who are out in the real world. You know, working in hospitals, working um, in research centers of their own, and they look at all of it. And then they meet and they tell the FDA what they think, right? And then so then the FDA takes that into consideration when they approve something on our app. So there's a lot of checks there. And then even after it's approved, the CDC has their own group of outside independent experts and doctors who feed in, to give their opinion. And then CDC decides, you know, who, you know, how should we, how should we then implement this vaccine if it's been approved? And all of that happens um, publicly, 
And so today I spent a large part of my day listening to the CDC meet, and you could too. Um, I don't. That's the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Correct. Right. And so it's they're really, really out there with what's happening and 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 discussing all of this. And so, and and I've joined those meetings actually, ladies. You can do it. Which is, you know, one thing I want to say is that it's a blessing, considering when this is happening. Um, if it were 15, 20 years ago, um, we would have been in trouble. I mean, maybe you could have hopped on. I don't know if you could hopped on on the phone uh, to listen in on this. Probably would have been way more difficult. But today, with the technology that we have, just as we are conducting this interview with Dr. Oliver remotely, you can listen in remotely um, on it. I know you were, you said you were listening right at while you were at work um, today, Dr. Oliver. Yep. And it's open to the public, ladies and gentlemen. So the information is there. Um, and and again, these are people that are independent from the industry that are looking at this. And it's part of, part of the reason why it takes so long, because I know we definitely have people out there that are like, well, I'm ready when this is approved. I mean, like myself, right? I'm waiting for that day, uh, but we have to be patient. And part of the patience is because um, we got those people that are probably crunching the numbers as we speak, right? To make sure that what Pfizer is putting out there and what they're saying is actually real as far as um, the benefits that they alluded to um, on Monday. And exactly. so I, with that said, I agree with exactly what Anastasia expressed in that, you know, we have to trust um, the process um, or at least put a good amount of trust in the process because we do have individuals that are not only working hard out there, but I can testify, right, knowing some of the researchers um, that people are working hard and have um, everybody's best interest in mind. They're passionate about this um, when it comes to making these decisions and making sure that people stand to benefit from these interventions. Yeah. And to that point, I would just add that when they make the decision about the vaccine for kids, it's going to be about the risk and benefit for those kids, right? When the FDA approves it. We talked a lot about the other, the risk and benefit for the rest mm. of the community, but they're going to look at the safety data for that group of kids. Got and it. They're going to look at the effectiveness for that group of kids and that's how they'll make their decision. So just want to be clear that it's about those kids when they approve that vaccine. Got it. What are the, and, and another thing is the doses, are there going to be different doses for children? Um, and essentially, how is it established? What is safe and what is effective? Um, especially when we talk about the really young ones, like uh, school-age children. Yeah. So they're going to get, a, for the for the Pfizer vaccine, what they've submitted, um, they're going to be a lower dose than what the adults and the adolescents have been getting. So we've been getting a 30 microgram dose and the, the 5 to 11-year-olds are getting 10. Um, so a lot less, actually. And what they do is try to sort of find that sweet spot where you get enough of that, um, the body makes enough antibodies that they, they're going to get a good level of protection um, with the fewest amount of side effects. Um, and that's why they were able to go with it. Then they you know, did it with all the lowest dose possible. That's still going to be effective. Got it. And um, now, if you don't mind, if we can shift to sort of what you've been seeing um, around you as far as the and ladies and gentlemen, right? This is real stuff that's happening. We've talked about this even um, in the last couple of weeks. Really, how children are being impacted, um, especially the social effects. But when we talk about the virus itself, um, what have you been seeing, sort of, um, in children uh, regarding COVID nineteen? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely seeing kids get sick. 
um, you know, with, 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 this, with symptoms. But for the most part, as you said, they're not getting so sick that they have to go into the, in, into the hospital. Um, and I see, you know, like I see on the outpatient side. Um, and so that's, that is reassuring. I think we've been lucky in New York City we haven't seen these huge increases um, that they're seeing in other parts of the country um, because we've had good immunization rates um, mm. that, that are protecting a lot of people and including including the kids. So we, we've been really fortunate there. Got it. You know, people have been saying that this is an infodemic, um, especially from what we talked about before with the misinformation out there, um, the flat out disinformation, right? People putting bad stuff out there, knowingly false information. Um, or uh, purposely misleading uh, information. So what have you been encountering as far as the messaging people have been receiving, especially parents, when it comes to um, COVID, when it comes to things like some of the measures that we've been taking place, um, that have been taking place um, as far as masks and um, things of that nature, any misconceptions that stand out that you want to clear up at this point, and even um, including vaccination? Yeah, I mean, I hate to raise misconceptions that people haven't considered yet. <laughs> Got it. I know. I know. Because um, sometimes run I think that's true. I run that's the. True. I worry that you end up what sticks with people and everybody is this is just sort of some human natural phenomenon is the mis the misinformation, not the real information, mm. um, a little bit. And so I think what I what so just, a disclaimer ahead then what <laughs> what is about to be said is is. I think what I, I really talk to about people who are making, you know, with people who are making this decision is go back on the risk benefit. Um, and so, you know, really thinking about what does that look like for you? What does that look like for your child? What does that look like for your family? And I feel incredibly confident that the answer for most, for everybody should be the benefit outweighs the risks. And that's a hundred percent more true with Delta because it's so much more infectious. Um, and so when I've been talking to people, you know, I, I really you know, kind of hone in. So like, I am very worried about what could happen to you if you get COVID right now, right? And unprotected. And I just don't want to see that happen. And I don't want to see that happen. You know, for those who, who kids were old enough to get the vaccine to, mm -hmm. to your kids either. Um, and so I really focus, I focus more on the benefit of the vaccine than on the misinformation. It's often really hard to get that information out of people's head once it's, once it's there. The other thing I would say is, as you pointed out, there's people who some deliberately put this false information out there um, and try to figure out why, right? What is, what's, what's the reason for it? What is the benefit? Um, and sometimes people are doing it because they have some ulterior motives that are not good. Um, and, and, tr and so just try to dig a little deeper into where that's coming from. So in other words, you log on to a website and it is saying, don't trust these vaccines. I have this snake oil for you. <laughs> For nine ninety nine a month, so it's not even one dose that you. I'm not even gonna say nine ninety. Some of these inflated prices that I've seen um, on some of these. We're talking, you know, a hundred bucks a month. Um, but yes, that's that's, that's something exactly that I think we it. really need to be um, on the lookout for. And one thing we've always talked about on Health in Harlem um, in really scrutinizing this information, um, ladies and gentlemen, is really just understanding where this is coming from. Right. What the as Dr. Oliver said, what the purpose is. Um, so if you go to the Health in Harlem site on Podbean, I know this is like advertising in the show, <laughs> but no we, we lay it out for you. Right. There's no conflict of interest. If you heard an ad on this program, I will go and complain to um, Podbean or any other host of this program because we purposely do not have um, ads on this program because we don't want that conflict of interest. Right. We have nothing that we're selling you. 
um, all the information that we are providing on this program to the best of our ability, we make sure there's reliable information and that it will be something that you can use in making day-to-day decisions that will improve your health. That is our goal. I put it out there each and every week. Uh, but if you go to some other sources, that might not be the case. And uh, they might even outline that, right, what their agenda is um, in their about section. Or you can even contact them and find out. But if you do see that, right, there are some red flags um, in that uh, proprietary information, right, where people are sort of uh, owning these sites and there's something on there that they're selling, that might be a red flag in your mind. If it is your boy on a social media site <laughs> saying something, you might want to take that with a grain of salt. I know you might trust that individual and they might even have your best interest at heart, but getting to where they get that information from. Um, and I don't want to you know, bring up the tragedy of this young man's testicles uh, in Trinidad, but you know, when we go back to that uh, issue with um, the statement last week, I'm not going to go into it again because we don't want to get people concentrated on those testicles again. Uh, but, <laughs> but again, you know, it's just a matter of where is that coming from? What actually happened um, in in that instance, right? Because we can't just jump and take that at face value and say that the vaccine caused that. Um, will I say with 100% certainty that that's absolutely not the case? No, right? Because is and I always say there's no 100% in science, um, but when we really look closely at that, that um, is probably not the case. And we know that because of the millions of doses of vaccine that have been administered. Um, I have yet to see a young man come in with swollen testicles attributed to that. So it's right. very I think unlikely. that would have been like recorded already as a side effect and we would have already probably if it was something that was very common and again it could be some really yeah it could be some super rare idiosyncratic reaction right that this person unfortunately had but the likelihood is very very small um, and and it's just something that when we see things like that we have to take it with um, a grain of salt and i want to go back to the, actually i don't know if you guys saw this the the post it was a uh truck it said don't get vaccinated and then underneath it, it was a an ad for a um, or it had the name of a funeral home. Oh it. yeah, so, I saw that. <laughs> terrible, terrible. I mean, but you uh, know what? yeah, that's an that ulterior motive. That, <laughs> but, that 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 count. That's an ulterior motive. If you ask me, I don't know. I think that person is trying to sell you something. So th- there's a point that I want to I want to make about the Nicki Minaj tweet. Um, that is a sample of one person, right? Whenever we as Dr. Oliver has stated, as we have stated in previous shows, like the FDA and all the independent scientists are looking at a lot of data and combing through every single piece of that data. That means that they're not just looking at one person. They're looking at a group of people. So taking one sample, which is basically just one person, and holding that person's reaction accountable for the entire group, that doesn't seem logical to me because that's just saying that I will have the same exact response to something as someone else. And that's not that's not true. I mean, we all know this, right? Like, for example, I took the first dose. I didn't feel anything. I was great. I was exercising. I was good. good My mom I was the took the first dose. She was just like done for like the day. She was tired. She was like, I need to sleep. And she just knocked out and slept the day through. Second dose, I was dying. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man, this is awful for like two days. My mom, she got the jab and she's like, did they put water in me? I don't feel anything. 
And I was like, no, I'm, I'm sure you got it, mom. You just feel the like she felt the sore arm. But mm -hmm. it just goes to show that one person cannot dictate how you specifically will respond to something. And as we mentioned in previous shows, we're combing through a lot of data. Pfizer, I mean, Pfizer is lucky, right? They got data points coming from all over the world because Israel has vaccinated almost everyone with Pfizer and they're mm -hmm. always giving us data. The UK always gives us data. I know that the CDC um, in some of those meetings, they actually refer to the data that they get from England. So it's like they got a lot of data points to comb through. And that's why they were able to get that FDA approval. So don't take one person's reaction as like the entire population's reaction. That yes, most likely absolutely. will not happen to you. Yeah. And to prove something was actually caused by something else, you know, did he eat Fruit Loops for breakfast? Like, is it because of the Fruit Loops? Mm, you know, yes. like, so you, you've got to really, as you said, you've got to really got to, you've got to, you've got a lot of more <laughs> data points there. Yes. And so when we, um, as we go forward, because I think that's the, the next thing that is on everybody's mind is sort of what comes next. Um, what do you sort of foreshadow or expect at this point um, in the next uh, few weeks and months when we talk about um, boosters and even when we talk about what's to come for children um, in regards to the, the COVID-19 vaccines? Yeah, I don't make any guesses. I know, I know. Stuff. Good luck. But um, I do, I'm hopeful that the what the data that Pfizer submits to the FDA um, will happen soon. That they'll be able to review that as quickly. You're hearing, you know, hearing from people that they're hoping to have something approved by the end of October. So I, I'm hopeful that we will see that. Um, mm -hmm. that's, there's a couple steps along the way. So I'm, I'm hoping that's on, that's what's in our future soon for kids. Yeah, and it'll be dictated by the data. Um, basically, is what you're saying. Yep. Uh, so that's that's what it's going to uh, come down to, ladies and gentlemen, is we can't give you the answer on this program tonight. I know you probably tuned in like, man, they're going to give me the no, no, we're not going to. get. But was um, again, going back to it, right, the data is going to show us. Um, and that was the case last December, right, when we had the initial approval um, for emergency use of the Pfizer vaccine is that the data was so encouraging that they said, you know what, we need to start using this stuff um, to protect people. And up to this point, that data has panned out. And so that's what we're waiting for, right? Um, we're anxiously waiting for it, but that's what we can expect is that the data will lead us to the answer um, in the coming weeks. So um, I'm, I'm praying, praying for it because, right, this is just going to be another um, thing in our armamentarium to deal with this pandemic um, as we go forward. So we just got to wait. Um, in the meantime, everything that we've talked about in the weeks leading up to now as far as masking and social distancing, one thing I can tell you from experience with that too, personal experience having been um, in New York and even uh, from what we're dealing with down here in the South, right, is that those interventions do work, ladies and gentlemen. So we are not, um, even with vaccines, if you don't get vaccinated, um, you still can protect yourself and others by doing all of those things. Those things do work. Um, that is not up for debate anymore. That is uh, pretty much a fact at this point and that those interventions work in decreasing the spread of the, the illness and potentially protecting you. And as we begin to uh, wrap up, Dr. Oliver, if you were to give our listening audience any one particular thing to focus on and take away from this program tonight, what would you say uh, that message is or that I, point? Yeah, no, I think two things. One is you know, find someone that you trust 
to help give you, and that's a good source to help give you information on this, on this, on this decision for your kids. Um, I think, you know, go to your pediatrician, go to your family medicine doc, find out what they have to say. Um, and then, and, and then, and then have them answer all of your questions. I, you know, I'm a pediatrician. I recommend everybody talk to their pediatrician. Right. Um, and I think the other big message is a hundred percent for me, you know, as a pediatrician, the benefits, um, are right now really outweigh, out, outweigh the risks, um, the benefits of vaccination and vaccines can, can stop pandemics. We've seen that in the past and, and I want to see that with, with COVID and we've, to do that, we've got to get everybody vaccinated. Mm. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, I just want to add, because right now I feel like you can argue that we're talking heads, right? I, I don't like talking at people. If anything, that's one thing I'm against. Cause I'm, I've been lectured at, um, <laughs> up to this point, even as a physician today, lectures, oh man. So we're not lecturing you. And what I what I also want to encourage is um, a dialogue. And we open that up to you all each and every week on Health in Harlem. And so I encourage you to hit us up. And I hope, right, as Dr. Oliver said, trust is a big deal. I hope that you do trust us. And again, we try very hard to bring you um, reliable uh, information each and every week, not just about the COVID vaccines and COVID, but we talk about everything right? But I can promise you that that's what we're trying to do now um, as well as we do all the time. Um, but I want to engage you. So if you have questions, concerns, comments out there, uh, please send those. If you want to try to address those to the best of our ability um, and really help you make an informed decision about this uh, as we go forward. So hit us up um, on our Podbean. You can ask us there. You can hit us up on Facebook. Um, actually, as a, this is a good way to announce what we're working on. So we're actually working on that website, ladies and gentlemen, a formal Health in Harlem website um, that will not only host the program, the radio show and podcast, but also we want to include a blog on this. So we can actually go in, in, in a little bit deeper dives in our topics and even talk about some other things when we talk about um, living a healthy life, right? Um, and especially preventive medicine. That's why I'm so glad, Dr. Mm -hmm. Oliver joined. We want to really keep you out of the hospital. Um, you can put emergency physicians out of business. That would be a great day. I mean, not really, but <laughs> but anyway, right? That's what we're sort of working on. And that the purpose of that is to engage you all out there, right? Because I know you have questions. We try to get as much as we can sort of answered, but that's impossible to address everything in a 60-minute span. And so that's why we encourage you to engage us. Hit us up with questions, concerns, and we'll do our best to uh, answer those and i have one final that, point so, yes Can i say the final point so like i have a little message too um i'm like nowhere near as qualified as like dr oliver or dr selby but i feel like as a person but you're passionate I, though I, yeah thank you i appreciate that um i try to be uh, and try to find the right information um it's more of like a personal thing because of everyone's tired of this pandemic to be quite honest with you everyone just wants to go back to normal everyone just wants to live those days where they don't have to worry is this person going to give me covid um but you know we're not there yet even though pfizer gave us some very very good hope um we still have to take all the preventative measures that we have been saying all the time especially with children being in school new york mm. city public schools there's a lot of students in every classroom you know, the schools are huge and you, what high school is four grades, nine to 12, middle school is six to eight, elementary school is one to five. Oh, there's a, a lot, lot of, of kids, <laughs> a lot of kids. So 
take your precautions and keep your mask on and wash your hands. Like, don't touch your nose and your eyes and stuff like that. <laughs> and hopefully, I think the, there's hope in all of this, too. Even though we're tired of it, I think that's maybe one of the things we're trying to get across is that there's hope and reason for that hope. And just as we said, with all of the measures that we've talked about, the distancing, the masking, right, to help prevent the spread, um, part of that equation is going to be um, where we really can't ignore vaccinations, right, their role in ending this. Because guess what? I think there is an opportunity for us to be maskless, yelling at a sporting event or chilling in a movie and not worrying, you know, somebody sneezes. Because now, man, somebody sneezes, especially like, I'm like, yo, anybody you coughs call, on the train, like, yeah, get off. You clear your throat. <laughs> if you clear your throat around me, I'm like, uh, I look over, you know, and see what's going on. But no, especially but, in yeah, this maybe one day we can be during yeah. like allergy season. You don't know who got allergy or who <laughs> you got don't know something what's else. Going on. Yeah. But one day, right, we could um, be at least in a better mindset when it comes to not having to worry about all of those things because, right, we've decreased that spread. Um, and that's the thing is we have a lot of agency here, right? This is not a hopeless situation. Um, and it's a multi-factorial approach, a multi-pronged approach to dealing with this pandemic, um, which includes the vaccinations, the distancing, everything that we've talked about. And we can win this fight. There's still hope. And so that's, I, I really hope that everybody can take that home too, and that there's hope and um, we need to right make those decisions so that we can get through this. Thank you very much, Dr. Oliver, uh, for joining us and taking time out. My pleasure. Um, to share I, this information. I love talking about these. So. That's what's up. We can tell. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And um, you are more than welcome to join us uh, again um, on the program. And yes, thank you so much. Just, uh, on behalf of our listening audience, on behalf of WHCR, um, we want to thank you for spending this time with us. Happy to do it. Hopefully next time in person. Right? That's what, yes. Yeah, God willing, with no mask, like chilling. That would yeah. be great. Yes, I'm waiting for that I'm looking day. forward to that. I day. miss the studio. Yeah. <laughs> that, I can't even tell you. I miss New York as a whole. Don't get me. You're about to make me cry. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, um, also, I want to thank my colleagues. I want to thank Anastasia. Uh, just want to send a shout out to um, Reed. He is our um, basically essentially our editor in chief of the, the program post-production. Um, so we want to shout him out. We want to shout out Giorgio Malouf, Malouf our co-host and um, also one of our um, executive producers. We want to shout out Ashley and Michael Holmes, our other associate producers. Um, and Anastasia, actually one of our executive producers as well. So just a shout out all around to the team. We send our love to you all. I know not everybody can make it tonight, but um, yes, we are all here and in effect. We also want to Give a shout out to WHCR and the WHCR family and thank Angela Harden and Tina Dixon, our general manager and production managers for making sure everything is running even right with the crisis on hand um, with COVID. And ladies and gentlemen, as we always say each and every week, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas, Harlem. Take care of yourself.